0: Welcome to In Session, Conversations with University Counselors. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. In this series, we welcome a number of Queen's University alumni who serve on Queen's University Council. And from them, we learn much about their time as students at Queen's, their career paths after convocation, and what drives their motivations to serve the Queen's community as council members. Welcome and enjoy everyone. Welcome to another episode of In Session. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. And today I'm in my virtual studio with Opio Oloya, who is a Queen's University alumnus, as well as a member of University Council. Welcome to my virtual studio, Opio.
1: Thank you, Dinah. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. And uh, at the time of recording, by the time we hear this, it'll be spring. But it is, uh, has been a really nasty couple of days of snowstorms around Kingston, and I guess where you are in the Newmarket Absolutely. area. Absolutely,
1: I'm I'm just north of Toronto in Newmarket, and yes, we have plenty of snow. Uh, any anybody would like free snow, we have it.
0: we've got a lot of free snow here too indeed all right so let's hear a little bit about you can can we learn a little bit about you and what you're doing for a living just north of Toronto
1: yeah so uh Diana I am a school superintendent I work Uh with the York Catholic District School Board okay and I've been working with the York Catholic District School Board for a long time now since 1988 Okay. several years after I left Queens, Mm -hmm. I started as a classroom teacher uh, teaching the little people and (laughs) and then uh, moved on to vice principal and then principal and now uh, superintendent of school. So I'm responsible for a number of schools, about 30 in all. Wow. And uh, yes, a lot of schools. So, you know, and and, and I work with the school principals. I work with uh, parents. Um, in terms of curriculum, in terms of what kids are learning, and troubleshooting whatever issues uh, come, we come across. Uh, it's been a big challenge this time around with COVID-19, you know, because the parents who want their children not to come into school mm-hmm. face-to-face, and there are those who don't want to, uh, to stay online. They want to come to school. So you, you have to work with everybody. So it's been quite, a, quite an interesting time
0: yeah, let's hear a little bit more about that. I can't imagine the the pressure that uh, that folks in your position must uh, be under on a regular basis because you have, uh, teachers and parents and students, the province, (laughs) municipality, and of course, the the various health units as well. Everybody has a voice in what's happening with education and COVID-19. So how are you faring managing 30 schools in the Newmarket area at such an extraordinary Mm -hmm. time?
1: It, it, it is quite a challenge, but the good news is that I'm not alone. I, you know, you've got the school principals, uh, you got the, 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 the staff in each of mm-hmm. the schools and, and I've got my colleagues in the senior team as well. So we have the general idea of what it is that we want to do as a, you know, as a policy or as an initiative and we talk through that and then we roll that out to the, to the schools, to the, uh, the administrators, and then of course to the parents as well. Uh, and then you know you troubleshoot uh, whatever comes your way. You deal it one mm-hmm. one day at a time, one case at a time. Uh, you know everybody demands uh, time. You know you gotta you gotta ear them out. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But most of the time, we try to find things that work so that we are able to accommodate the different needs of uh, of, of students. Those who want to come face to face, we have them face to face, and those who are uh, remote. Uh, we have them remote, so you have teachers, for example, who are teaching uh, both remote kids and face-to-face kids. So they, you know, they they are able to to structure these two classes really, because you know, on the one end you've got the virtual class, and then on the other hand, you got the face-to-face. Those who are sitting right in front of you, and so they so far it has worked. Uh, it's not always perfect, but uh, we are here. We are still standing.
0: Wow. <laughs> goodness me so I feel like there must be some great opportunities here for drafting best practices for uh, future administrators and teachers moving forward
1: yeah I, 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 yes absolutely for me the, the the thing that keeps me really grounded is the the, the knowledge that whatever I'm doing really uh, I have the students in my mind the little yeah. the, the little people who are coming to school right from JK all the way to uh, in my case to grade eight. To 13 year, old, year olds. And, and so uh, with the, learner, the learners in mind, I find that even if I'm dealing with some really difficult issues, and some of them are really difficult, you know, I'm always reminded that, you know what, this is for the good of the kids. And, and, and because I always think of myself as a teacher first, even in this role, you know, when, when, when I'm introducing myself, uh, very, very often I start with, by saying I am a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then they say, what do you teach? Then I will then say, uh, I don't actively teach anymore. I am in administration. So what is your position? Then I'll go, I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a superintendent of school. But the first introduction is usually I'm a teacher. And that's what keeps me grounded.
0: All right. Well, you mentioned uh, some pretty significant difficulties, too. Before we move on, I, I wonder... If for the benefit of our listeners who, you know, many of our listeners have children who are in school, but may not necessarily understand the the, the difficulties of administration uh, in such a time, what are some of the obstacles and challenges that you are facing?
1: Well, right now, for example, we have uh, students who are coming face to face. Those who are online, yes, we, we work with them and there are teachers who are teaching them. But those who are coming face to face, we have to make sure that uh, there are certain parameters. They have to be able to socially distance. So we have to make sure that classrooms can accommodate all the students uh, that we can accommodate. We cannot accommodate as many as we used to before uh, the pandemic came. Uh, And and so so that is number one, Mm -hmm. making sure that the classroom is set up so that uh, students are socially distanced, they are able to sit comfortably And then number two, to make sure that uh, from grade one to grade eight, eight, uh, that they have their mask on. Now, there are students who cannot wear a mask for any number of uh, reasons. Some of them are socially, uh, not socially, um, medically fragile. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to accommodate them. Uh, Children who may be on the ASD uh, spectrum, uh, they, they too need to be taken care of if they cannot wear a mask. Mm-hmm. So all of these uh, exceptionalities need to be looked at, you know, individually, one at a time. You cannot, you know, say that everybody is going to be uh, dealt with in the same way. So you have to be able to look into those individual cases, uh, make those accommodations, uh, support students who are struggling and, and, and so on and so forth. The other thing that we are seeing a lot, uh, Dinah, is um, you know, mental health is become a, a major issue. So those students who are online, especially who have not had opportunity to uh, to uh, interact with other kids and, and, and be with their friends and so on, uh, to be socially active with their friends, you know, we are we are we are, we are seeing a number of uh, cases where parents are reporting, my child is depressed, he doesn't want to talk anymore. Uh, and so on, and and yes, in some cases we we have uh, had cases where we have uh, you know had to intervene because uh, we we really were afraid for the child's life. So 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 we are seeing a little bit more of that than we normally would. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, we have a, a a very strong support team with the both uh, psychological psychological team, board support team always ready to spring into action to support those kids who need the support. So. For those who are listening, um, if, if, if there is something that looks like an anomaly, something that doesn't fit, the child doesn't feel, look right, uh, know that there is support. Mm-hmm. Okay? Don't, don't, don't say, you know, uh, maybe if I raise the issue, people will look at me funny or maybe I will look like, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing as a parent. No, no, no. This, this, is a, this is a different time. It has nothing to do with parenting. We are all learning how to cope with, uh, with, with, with uh, the pandemic. And and, and 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 so the, the, the issue, whether, you know, you, you feel inadequate as a parent, that's not the issue at all. Uh, we are all learning along. And so as for help, reach out to uh, your school uh, administrator, reach out to the school superintendent so that whatever the issue is, uh, we can talk through it and, and resolve it.
0: Wow. All right. So thank you for all of that information and sharing so much about what's happening in the new market area and the schools that you're managing as superintendent. We really do appreciate it. Wow. now, I wonder if we can pivot back to your time at Queen's University right. when you were a student. Yes. You said that, I I believe, that you started teaching around 1988. So uh, did you get a B.E.D. at Queen's University? Were you in concurrent
1: education? I, I did. So um, I, I arrived uh, at Queen's on June the 7th, 1981. Okay. And, and uh, uh, you know, I arrived overnight, uh, probably when I reached Kingston, it was already close to maybe 10 p.m. at night. Uh, on June the 7th, 1981, I came as a refugee oh, okay. coming from uh, Uganda. Okay. And so I was a student refugee uh, supported by World University Service of Canada, WUSC. And a number of uh, student, you know, certainly uh, the, the student uh, body, I believe it is AMS, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and so they, they they were involved as well in welcoming me. So uh, there were a number of people who came together, uh, not only to sponsor me, but to welcome me uh, to Queen. So I arrived on that, uh, that night, uh, the following morning, June the 8th. Uh, I actually began my, my classes. All these had already been arranged. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm new to Canada. Uh, I could, could barely understand what people were saying because it, to my ears, uh, people seemed to speak so fast and, and I could <laughs> barely understand what they were talking about. I mean, they were, I, I spoke English, uh, but, but my way of speaking English was different. And therefore I did not quite understand what people were talking about. Nonetheless, I, I, I went to class that morning, uh, it was uh, a summer school, summer class, and, and uh, it was being offered by Professor Brian Osborne, I think he's retired now, in geography. Okay. Yes. So, so that was my first introduction uh, at McIntosh Corey Hall, that is where the class was, and that is where Professor Osborne had about, maybe about 15 students uh, who were taking summer classes already started. And, uh, and the topic was, and I still remember this, it was about acid rain, uh, you know, even in, you know, as far back as 81, they were already talking about climate change and, and acid rain and clear cutting and all of those issues were new to me. You know, I, I didn't know what acid rain was. Uh, I, I thought, you know, you know, so you have acid falling from the sky and I'm, I'm thinking this sounds very dangerous. You know, what am I getting into here?
0: Well, I was about seven years old at the time. And around that time, I heard about acid rain, too. I was afraid to go outside for months (laughs) (laughs) because I didn't want to get rained on and then burned or something.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so, so that was the introduction, but, but w- I was really warmly welcome to Queens. Um, I then uh, three days later, I went to live uh, on uh, Aberdeen mm-hmm. uh, Street, 32 number 32, Aberdeen Street, which is a science for the up. Yep. Uh, that's where I, I, I stayed. Um, uh, for, for the most of the my undergraduate at Queens, uh, I was at 32 Aberdeen uh, street. And, uh, and got to know, then, you know, began to acclimatize myself to the Canadian culture, the way of talking, the way, the food, you know, even mm-hmm. the food to eat, you know, uh, pasta, you know, uh, spaghetti, uh, which at first looked like, earth, <laughs> you know, earthworms, that, you know, white earthworm. And I was very, not very keen to, to, to put it in my mouth, but I learned to do so.
0: What vivid memories you have. Wow, that's amazing. So while you were a student then, an undergrad, what were you studying and what kinds of activities were you engaged in?
1: I I was doing um, a lot of things. I certainly, in in my studies, it was political science uh, was my major uh, with a focus in international relations, but I was doing a minor in philosophy as well. So I was able to get around and 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 meet other other students in other you know in in in, in other uh, studies, uh, so that's what I was doing. But uh, outside of uh, school, uh, I was engaged in all kinds of things. Uh, certainly, sports uh, comes to mind. Although I did not play on any particular team, there were always people doing pickup soccer in the summer. Which you know, because I came just at the beginning of summer, so there were a lot of pickup games. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, on some of those open fields, uh, you know, n- near, near the, uh, n- near the medical building. Uh, so, so we would, we would be playing soccer there, you know, and that was a great way to meet new people and uh, get to know, uh, a little bit more about Queens. Certainly, uh, wh- when the weather was good, uh, walk mm-hmm. over to the lakefront, uh, and, and hang out by the timepiece there, uh, you know, <laughs> At 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 the, at the bottom of um uh of of uh, believe Division Street is it right at the at, at the lake? I think it's Barry. Yes, Barry. I think it is Barry. Yeah, some of it now. I, I need a map <laughs> to, to figure out. But so yeah, so um, but you know, just basically hanging out with friends and um and 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 enjoying uh, my new environment, getting to know people, getting to understand the culture, how things are done. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and becoming acclimatized, becoming a Canadian. I remember one incident that very early on, I, I'm going to tell you about it. This was, uh, I would say about a week or two after I arrived, I wanted to write a letter to my mother. And so uh, I wrote a letter and, 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 uh, and then I put it, I, I thought I put it in the envelope and put a stamp, I asked how much it would be international. So they gave me the amount and they gave mm-hmm. me the stamp. The problem was I did not put the letter in the envelope. The envelope was empty. I, then I took it to the post office, which was at the John Deutsch Center at the time. And I posted it. Then I realized uh, the letter was actually not in the envelope. So I went back to the post office and asked the, the, the lady, who was there, said, you know, I, I forgot to put the letter in the envelope. Could you give me back the envelope so that I can, uh, I can put the letter in? They said, no, no, no. She said, you know, once you posted the letter, you can not have it back. And I'm thinking, but how many people are writing letters to Gulu town in northern Uganda? <laughs> you know? Yeah, this, is, this isn't going to Ottawa. <laughs> No, <laughs> this is going to. There's only one person. It's me, and you. You saw me bring in the letter. Could could I have it by then? She said, "No, we can't do that." So I had to. I had to put a PS postscript, and and tell my mother that sorry, you will receive an empty envelope. Uh, I forgot to put the letter in it. So here is the letter. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, in that bag, it was probably filled with bills that were going across town. <laughs> That's
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. So it is the culture shock and the, the different ways of doing things and, and so on. Yeah. All right. So from your undergrad,
0: you went on to do a, a Bachelor of Education and then you started yes. teaching.
1: Yes, I I, I finished uh, my uh, B. ed After my my undergraduate, I went to uh, MacArthur College and uh, did my B. ed. I, I completed in May, May of uh, 1986. Uh-huh. And then I went to Ottawa. At the time there were not a lot of jobs uh uh, teaching jobs so what i did was i enrolled in um in in the master's program at the university of ottawa Mm -hmm. and and i began supply teaching in the ottawa area so you know i would supply teach but at the same time also doing my masters okay and then after you know after i finished my masters in 19 in early 1988 I I got a teaching job uh, in the Bahamas on Grand Bahama at Freeport, in Freeport, Grand Bahama. Wow. So I taught there at at a school, high school, uh, only to have someone call me from York Catholic and say, you know, uh, you interviewed with us many months ago. Uh, We now have a a, a space for you. We we have a job for you. But I said, but I'm in the Bahamas. Uh, you know, and if the weather is really beautiful here. They said, "Well, <laughs> but this is a permanent job we are talking about." Ah, okay. Uh, so, so, so I said, "Let me think about it." A week later, they call, and and so I came, I packed up, and came back in December of eighty-eight, and I began teaching at York Times. You, Again,
0: you sorry. left the Bahamas in December. Bahamas. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, hello, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> that is a testament to your commitment to education. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so so yeah so i've i've taught pretty much um from junior kindergarten the little 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 kids uh to the big people in uh in grade twelve i've taught all of all of those and and then and, and then of course um after i i you know as a school principal i i went to and and completed my uh doctorate at york university
0: uh-huh
1: yeah, in education. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's interesting, too. I've often wondered uh, the process of how some teachers do become administrators at the vice principal and then principal and obviously uh, superintendency as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I did not really want to leave the classroom. I, I was pushed into administration, I have to say that. Uh, you know, there were a number of uh, administrators who had seen me as a teacher. I truly love. Teaching And I still do to this day. Uh-huh. You put me in front of a class, I'm at home. Uh, and, and, and whenever I travel in Africa, it doesn't matter which part of Africa. Uh, the first thing I do when I'm in a town is to find out where is the school, uh, you know, and I will go and visit a school. Or, and if there is an opportunity to teach, I'll, 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 I'll volunteer and teach. So teaching has always been something I truly love and enjoy. So I was quoted so to speak, to become an administrator. They said, oh, you will make a good administrator. I said, but I love what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So it took quite a while because I already had the master's from the University of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And so I did not have to do all the things that administrators usually have to do uh, in order to become administrators. I already had that behind me Mm -hmm. when I began teaching. So uh that 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 put on the pressure that you know the the, the recruitment really pushed you know become administrator so any anyway, in the end to get them off my back. <laughs> I became an administrator, but teaching is my first love.
0: Okay. Well, that's good uh, Good to know then too, maybe for some students that are listening who might be thinking about careers in education that uh, it sounds like uh, graduate school degrees are also required if they wanted to go on to oh, administration. Uh,
1: absolutely. Uh, it, it, you know what? It, 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 what it does is it gives you uh, the opportunity to do what you want, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, um, and and a graduate degree either at the master's level or at the PhD level, certainly master's level, uh, it will allow you to do what you want. If you want to carry on with teaching, you can uh, continue to teach. If you would like to get into administration, that then is also an option. So, you know, in my case, the way it worked out, it was, I did not have a job. So I decided instead of wasting time, uh, you know, wondering when the job will come, let me me complete my master's. And I think for students who are thinking about career, that that, that is something to think about. You know, how, how, if you don't have that job yet, how can you fill in that time in a constructive way that will further your career down the line? Hmm. You know, whether it is taking courses or even, you know, even if you decide to volunteer your time uh, with an organization so that you're gaining experience. You're gaining real life experience. That is also excellent mm-hmm. way of making sure that you know there is no time wasted uh, wondering, you know, when when am I going to get a job or can I get a job?
0: Okay, thank you. So on the so now that we've been talking about students just a little bit too, as you are keenly aware <laughs> about the pandemic uh, and the impact it's had on students, at, certainly at the uh, elementary and secondary levels, but post-secondary students, including those at Queens, have been uh, studying remotely at home. Do you have any advice for them on how to stay engaged but also stay on task uh, during the you know need to stay at home while they're studying?
1: I I would say this: um, the, the 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 focus is not on the now. The now may be difficult. The now may be tedious. Uh, you have to find ways of but the, the, the focus should be on tomorrow. Uh-huh. Um, I, th- there is no substitute, substitution for education. And, and I say this as someone who was born in a small little village in Northern Uganda, uh, who ran to school bare feet uh, for many years and, and, and who then went on. But because of education, I'm talking to you now, because of education, I I was able to get to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the the, the focus should be on uh, tomorrow. And that today may be difficult. Maybe there are other barriers and maybe there are pressures that you're feeling uh, and wondering, you know, am I wasting my time? You know, there are already friends that I know who are making money, you know, doing this or that. But first and foremost, you need that education. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in a, you know, I, and and I say this because the new g- the generation currently in school know that you are no longer just competing with those who are in your cohort and at Queens. You're competing with a student in Nairobi, Kenya. You're spe- you're competing with uh, a student from Wagadugu. Uh, you you know so the, the 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 student today the 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 horizon is much bigger. Mm. And you, you know, so students need to think in a in a much, you know, global context as well. That uh, what you are doing at Queen's today may end sending you uh, to Juba in South Sudan, where I have found, believe it or not, uh, some Queen students <laughs> <laughs> who are working there with United Nations. Wow! You see, yeah, exactly. So, so you begin to see that um, education is truly important. Uh, and 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 completing whatever study you are in, uh, whether it is a liberal arts or whether it is a sciences it does not matter. The focus is to complete it, do it well, uh, and 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 know that it is. This is the key to tomorrow, and there is no substitution for that key. You have to have that education.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Wow. Okay, so. Now, let's shift focus now of our conversation over to University Council. So you've been in the Toronto area for a while now, doing the the work in Newmarket of supervising a number of schools there. Now, you are a member of University Council. How long have you been a member of University Council, and and what inspired you to run
1: for a seat? It is probably more what inspired me, because I haven't been on it for very long. Uh Uh, I only got in, I think. Uh, at the end of october last year, so i'm very new and with the pandemic i we haven't really had a, a lot of opportunity, although there have been some engagement uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh providing feedback uh either to the principal uh to the chancellor uh and 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 to council so so there have been a few of those opportunities but the, in terms of the inspiration really what I mentioned earlier, which is that uh at queens really uh, was the place where I, I became who I, who I am. You know, Queen's University worked so hard to move me from uh, a refugee somewhere in Africa to bring me here and and, and support me through the time that I was uh, going to school until I was able to graduate. So to me, I feel this is the, the, the smallest I can really give is to give back mm-hmm. uh, my time and to, to support uh, uh, you know, university students and to, to be able to be part of Queen University again uh, in terms of the council. So I'm hopeful that um, there will be more things that I can do. But right now, because of the pandemic, uh, our, our work has been sort of limited to uh, Zoom consultation. And, 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 but that is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've had a few uh, sessions already. And so I'm learning. I'm still very new and I'm learning. Um, uh, but, but but what I find really inspiring is the openness. Uh, first and foremost, the openness with which uh, uh, the, the principal of Queen's University welcome, welcomes idea. You know, he, 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 he called me and, and welcomed me when I was elected and, and said, you know, whatever, um, uh, uh, whatever ideas you think will help to move Queen's forward, know that uh, my door is always open. So for me... That, that is really inspirational, that there is that openness and and and, uh, and that welcome, which is the Queen's that I know.
0: Fantastic. And yeah. now, what would you say to other alumni out there, wherever they might be in the world, about why they might consider running for a seat in this spring's election? It,
1: it, not everybody may have the time or, or even the, uh, the, the capacity to be able to do that, but I would say be engaged. Um, because when, you, when, when, when I look back now at, from the perspective of someone who has been uh, in, in, in a career for over 30 years, and I look back now and I see the, the impact that uh, m- people at Queens, you know, people who took the time to, 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 to take me under their wings, to show me the rope and to say, here yeah, the way things work. Imagine that, uh, what, what impact that would have for uh, those who are, you know, who, who used to go to the alumni community to you know, provide that kind of support, whether it is financial, whether it is actually picking up someone um, and mentoring them, all of these are opportunities that, 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 that alumni should, should look into.
0: Great. And now what about alumni staying connected with their alma mater and with each other while everybody is under lockdown wherever they happen to be or slowly emerging from lockdown?
1: Yeah, well, this is it. I, I mean, look, we, you and I are engaging uh, using Zoom. And so the, the, the beauty of, of today's world is that we are connected, even if we are not physically in, you know, in the same place, that connection is there, whether it is email, whether it is by telephone, by Skype, uh, by Zoom. There are so many ways of communication. And, 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 and it doesn't take much for someone who is in Calcutta uh, to send a quick text uh, to uh, a, a young student who is thinking of engineering, you know, to say, you know what? Uh they, they feel the field the the technology field here in India is wide open, you know. So I encourage you to carry on with what you're doing. So so there is just one alumnus doing, you know, communicating with one person, but that is that is very important. Imagine if everybody did that. There are many, many, many Queen's alumni out there. And 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 the, the immense work that they can do to support the the, the up and coming um Uh, students who are in the system right now uh, is immense. And I think that that is what I hope that everybody can find the time. Uh, It doesn't have to be a full-time job, whatever little time you've got, Mm -hmm. give a little bit of it back. And, uh, and let us keep this vibrant, very, very beautiful university going on for many, many more centuries to come. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
0: So, before we wrap up, do you have anything else to add, OPO? No,
1: I'm I'm truly happy, Diana, to be back, uh, to be um, giving a little bit of my time to Queens, but just to know that uh, Queens continue to uh, to change as well. Uh, to be, you know, it was welcoming in my time, but to know that there's so many wonderful work that is happening, you know, with um, the indigenous uh, community, uh, with the um, uh, anti black racism all of these things is making queens that much of a, a bigger space a welcoming tent for everybody i felt welcome i have to say that up front but but to imagine you know how that ripple effect is now you know the, 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 the bigger the tent is that everybody fits under there and and uh, and we support each other so I think this is what uh, makes me so happy to be back and to be supporting Queen's right now.
0: Thank you. Folks, we've been chatting with Opio Aloya, who is a Queen's University alumnus, a member of University Council, and also an educator north of Toronto in the Newmarket area thank you for joining us today and telling us your journey to queen's university through queen's university to where you are now and uh sharing also how it's been going with uh with your community uh, of educators in the new market area related to COVID 19 and managing that in the schools that uh, you manage wow thank you so much it's been a really extraordinary conversation
1: my pleasure diana thank you so much for having me and uh, all the best uh, to everybody thank you
0: everyone welcome to another edition of in session my name is dinah jansen and i am in the virtual studio today with mary wilson trider who is a queen's university alumna who is the president and ceo of elmont general hospital and carlton place and district memorial hospital as well as a member of queen's university council and the chair of the queen's university board of trustees Mary, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much of your valuable time.
2: Thank you for inviting me. This is terrific. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
0: Me too. So tell us about yourself and the work that you do as president and CEO of Two Hospitals.
2: Well, as you mentioned, I am a very proud graduate of Queen's. I attended the School of Business and and when I left there, uh, qualified as a chartered accountant in a profession that is now known as CPA uh, and had the opportunity to work abroad for a period of time, came back to Canada and uh, within about 18 months had my first job uh, in a hospital in the greater Toronto area. And that embarked me on a wonderful career uh, that has been so satisfying in terms of uh, my ability as someone with a finance background to really contribute to the well-being of people in communities uh, across uh, the region served by the hospitals that I've worked in. Um, I spent a number of years in roles that were primarily um, related to finance, but was fortunate to have the opportunity to branch out uh, in those roles to take on responsibility outside of of the business functions, uh, and to really get to know uh, the hospital operations and to work with some absolutely terrific uh, colleagues who were both um, medical professionals and and people with uh, other types of backgrounds, perhaps more similar Uh, to my own. Um, In 2010, uh, I was very fortunate to uh, be invited to become the CEO of the Elmont General Hospital, uh, which is a small hospital located in a community just uh, southwest of the city of Ottawa. So we're about 40 minutes from Parliament Hill. uh, And uh, the organization here consists of a hospital A long term care home, which is physically attached to the hospital and the Lanark County Paramedic Service, which uh, provides paramedic service for the uh, roughly uh, 3000 square kilometers of the county of Lanark. Uh, right down the road from us is the town of Carlton Place, where there is another uh, small hospital, and about four and a half years ago, uh, the boards of the two hospitals decided that uh, they wanted to work more closely together, and there was an opportunity to have uh, an integrated leader of the two organizations, so I became the CEO of that hospital as well, uh, and... Uh, Here I am having having what I describe as the best job in Lanark County leading these terrific, terrific organizations.
0: I'm very fascinated by your career trajectory, Mary. Your background, your educational background uh, suggests um, accounting, Mm -hmm. but you were you are heading up the hospital where where's the relationship there? And how did you become interested in working in the hospitals in the first place?
2: Well, I my first exposure to hospitals was actually as a uh, high school student. I was a uh, candy striper, as uh, the teenage volunteers were called, at the Ottawa Civic Hospital and really was introduced to the, the world of healthcare there. One of the things that people don't think about, uh, because the face of hospitals are the clinical professionals, the nurses, the doctors, the physios, the lab techs, all those folks. People don't think about the fact that, we are actually the custodians of tens of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have, uh, in my case, uh, hundreds of employees. My larger hospital colleagues have thousands of employees. Uh, We have complex IT systems. We have buildings to be maintained. We have property uh, to be concerned about. We sign contracts. There, There is an infrastructure that is required Uh, to to create and support the environment in which our clinical professionals can provide excellent care for our patients and residents. And so every hospital in Ontario has accountants, has human resource professionals, IT professionals, um, engineering uh, professionals to provide that very necessary environment for the patient care uh, to take place. So my um, entrance into the hospital sector was... uh, as as a director um, in the finance department at the Ajax and Pickering General Hospital um, looking after um, the the financial functions doing the financial statements working with the Ministry of Health talking about budgets and cash flow and all of the things that accountants would normally deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, I was curious um, and very interested in the business so one of the things that I made a point of of doing um, was really getting to know it. And I also came to learn very quickly that if I didn't understand the business, I couldn't be effective in the role that I had. And so I spent a lot of time on uh, what my my uh, colleagues have called my vicarious medical school education. Uh, so I spent time with with clinical professionals, with physicians asking questions about, what is this procedure? Why do we do that? How does this piece of equipment work? And, and through that curiosity, really got to know and understand uh, how hospitals and long-term care homes uh, work, uh, what's important in, in running an ambulance service. And, and through that, uh, and through the good fortune of having some terrific mentors, uh, other CEOs that I worked for uh, in my career, had the opportunity to become very involved at the operational level and provide leadership to different um, aspects of hospital um, operations ac- across my career. And that's really what prepared me to take on the role I have now. Um, but yeah, uh, hospitals need all sorts of people, um, many of whom, as I've said, aren't, aren't obvious when we, when we think about what a hospital actually does.
0: Well, thank you for those insights. Uh, it's really great to know a little bit more about what the leadership at hospitals actually do on a day-to-day basis my understanding from you know the baseline is what I've seen on Grace Anatomy.
2: (laughs) Or house,
0: yeah, right. And
2: so and and on all of those shows, the the hospital administrators are usually evil <laughs> and trying to protect them from lawsuits and 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 so on and so forth. But I can assure you that all of the hospital leaders that I've had the pleasure to work with are dedicated and compassionate professionals who who really you know have a focus on patients and residents and excellent care, but. No, every, every day I can do a wide variety of things. I mean, my, my primary accountability as the CEO is to the board of directors, mm-hmm. um, boards, actually. Each hospital corporation has one. So I spend a lot of time working with the board chairs. Um, and making sure that the boards have the information they need. Uh, I work with uh, representatives of government on different issues. Of course, there have been lots of conversations recently about matters related to um, the pandemic, Um, but uh, whether it's funding, uh, whether it's... um, an expansion project that we're doing right now in Carlton Place with the emergency department. There's a lot of work with government. Uh, there is, uh, I spend time in my working day with our foundations who do terrific work fundraising to buy equipment for the hospitals and support the work that they do. Uh, I spend time with frontline staff, talking to them, talking to patients about their experience in our hospitals. Uh, providing leadership and direction to my team uh, of vice presidents and through them to the other leaders in the organization. Um, okay. Yeah, you name it. Uh, it <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot of variety in the workday of somebody who leads a hospital.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing, Mary. Now, can we go back in history a little bit? Why don't we talk a little bit about your time as a student at Queen's University? Uh, let's hear about your studies and maybe some of the activities that you were engaged in while you were here, too.
2: Okay, great. So um, I actually started out um, in the Faculty of Arts and Science uh, in um, economics. And having been accepted to that program, start had started even before I got to first year to think that perhaps the School of Business was more aligned with, with my interests, um, but so I did my first year in economics, um, in arts and science, and then transferred in second year into the school of business where, where I spent the rest of my Queens career. Um, school of business is pretty busy. Um, and so I didn't, I, I wasn't as busy with extracurriculars as I thought I might be, um, because there, I did need to spend some time on academics in my second year. I did, um, uh, work on the arts and science orientation was very involved in that week and was really lucky that year actually to have friends who were running for AMS leadership and so got involved in that campaign um, and got to see how that worked from the inside which was really interesting. Um, I did some work uh, with uh, the registrar and uh, a a friend from the Faculty of Engineering on high school liaison. So I spent time with high school students who were thinking about coming to Queen's, mm-hmm. talked to them about what Queen's was like, did tours with them, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, in my fourth year, I also worked at Clark Hall Pub, which was a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I bet. Uh, yeah. I, I get. I guess you were there for a few of those rituals. <laughs>
2: I was there for a few of those rituals, yes, and and the visiting team post-game parties and all kinds of other things. But what happens at Clark Hall Pub stays at Clark Hall Pub.
0: Okay, mum's the word.
2: <laughs>
0: so um, thank you so much for sharing about that, too. Now, one thing I'd like to learn a little bit more about, too, while we have you in conversation today, Mary, is the Board of Trustees. Mm-hmm. What is the Board of Trustees at Queen's University? And what do you do in your role as chair?
2: So the board is one of three governance bodies at Queen's, and it is uh, responsible in a nutshell for for the business affairs of the university as distinct from, from the academic portfolio, which is the responsibility of Senate. So the board considers questions related to um, budget, related to capital investment, related to um, Uh, community relations related to external development, government relations, that sort of um, thing, along with a number of issues um, more internally focused uh, to do with risk, to do with audit, to do with uh, student health and wellness, and and a number of other things. It's got a fairly broad mandate, but really focused on that administrative side, not not the academic side. Um, As the board chair, I am... The leader of the board I I was elected by my fellow trustees to to lead the board so I uh, at at the board meetings I am in charge of the meeting I, I plan them I lead them I make sure we get through our agendas get get the business done. Um, As the chair, I also am responsible for representing the board externally, whether it's with government, whether it's at events, uh, or any other sort of forum. And I am the board's uh, liaison with the principal. So which is not to say that the principal doesn't talk to all of the board or the board members, because certainly he he does do that. Um, but when there is, you know, discussion to be had about board affairs, when, um, you know, the, the principal reports to the board and I am the the conduit for that relationship as well.
0: Okay, thank you very much. It's great to get some insights about this area of governance. And now we're going to talk about another area of governance that you were also a yep. part of at Queen's University, and that is University Council, of yep. which you are also a member and have been for a number of years. Correct. So can you tell us a little bit more about University Council and your role there?
2: Absolutely. So University Council um, has been around for many, many years. It was established in 1874. Um, and it's job uh, was and is uh, to review and discuss matters of mutual interest to the board, the Senate and um, the graduates regarding the prosperity and welfare of the university, which, which is a, a pretty big mouthful. Um, but the, the council has a role to play in uh, giving advice uh, on on matters that the principal might want thoughts from, from alumni on, uh, also on uh, raising issues that it thinks should be uh, attended to or or thought through by the principal. Another important role of council is that it um, elects six people to the board of trustees um, as uh, uh, alum, you know, as an alumni body. And uh, so that's how I ended up going from council to the board. But I have five fellow uh, council trustees as well uh, who do that with me. Um, Outside of council meetings and and interactions with the university, councillors are also ambassadors uh, for Queen's. So uh, we uh, are promoting Queen's. We are engaging with students and prospective students. There are you know, for example, at uh, uh, the beginning of, of uh, the academic year, uh, there have uh, for the last uh, number of years been events where counselors have been invited to participate with students who are coming to Queens for the first time and their families to talk to them about about what Queens is like um, and what they might expect. Um, so yeah, uh, really uh, robust uh, rule.
0: Robust now, one thing that I find striking about all of the things that we've talked about in your, and the many hats that you wear mm-hmm. uh, here at Queen's, as well as uh, in the Ottawa area, how do you manage it all in terms of your time? I'd, I'd like to hear maybe a little bit more on that. And maybe our student listeners who are so, always questioning, how do I manage my time? As somebody with a massive schedule of competing priorities, how do you manage this?
2: Yeah, you have you have to be well organized. You have to prioritize. Um, you have to make sure you're looking for efficiencies um, in what you're doing, so that you're not you're not doing things twice. You absolutely have to make sure that you in your in your scheduling of of all of your must dos for work and volunteer life um, that time is scheduled um, for personal. Uh, time, uh, not just d- time with friends and family, but also time for yourself to to rest and rejuvenate and so on. I have to say too that, that um, without my executive assistant, I would be in big trouble. She is absolutely my right hand um, at work and my right hand in terms of helping to support uh, the work that I do for Queens, along with an outstanding staff at the the Secretariat, but um, yeah. So we're it,
0: talking about uh, Tina McClelland. We're
2: talking about Tina. Yes, yes. I would hey, be Tina. lost without <laughs> Tina, and uh, and and at home. Frankly, I would be lost if my husband was not as wonderfully supportive of all of this as he is, and he didn't even go to Queens. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much. It's really great to get those insights and students always benefit from getting advice about managing their time and how to I know and
2: I feel really badly when part of the answer is I have an executive assistant. (laughs) Students don't have that, but but you know, part of part of the process of of being a student and going from being a student to being in the world of work and the world of volunteering and so on and so forth is you do need to learn the lessons about how to prioritize and how to manage and and how to make sure that you don't burn yourself out.
0: Exactly. Staying well in the meantime. Yes. yes, indeed. Absolutely. Okay, so what inspired all of your interests in your volunteerism with the Board of Trustees and University Council at Queens? What brought you back home?
2: So I came I came back home to council not realizing that there was an opportunity through council to to be a member of the board and really it was wanting to reconnect I had worked abroad I'd been busy in in my work life and had been back to Queen's for homecoming um, at the sort of five-year marks as as we do Uh, but really had had lost touch with what was happening at Queen's on a day-to-day basis and and i came across the opportunity for university council as I was reading the alumni magazine and thought that would be a really great way to reconnect with the university and um, to give something back to an institution from which I got so much in terms, not just of classroom education, but life education, the the opportunities that came as a result of that. So um, that was my initial impetus. And what I found very quickly Uh, as I engaged with council and have have felt in spades since I have been part of the board is that for everything I might, I might have to offer the university, I get it back 10 times over in terms of um, the, the interesting, uh, things that go on at Queens, the th- many, many things that that Queens and its alumni, its faculty, and its staff do that we have to be proud of. The opportunities I've had to engage, to learn, to to meet interesting people. It's it's just been a fantastic, fantastic um, experience.
0: Wonderful. Okay, so the University Council's nomination period is soon forthcoming in the spring. Mm-hmm. Mary, in your view, why might alumni consider running for a position?
2: Well, I, to, to stay engaged uh, Mm -hmm. with Queens, to provide their unique perspective on uh, the issues that council talks about on the challenges that are facing Queens. So many of our alumni have uh, varied experience and interests and, and, And learning and every council meeting has a really rich discussion and and so there's a selfish motivation that I think an alum could have in terms of wanting to to engage and relearn and and stay connected but there is also um, that opportunity to, as I chose to do myself, to give back. It is extremely interesting. Uh, There's so much that a counselor can can do and learn in terms of not just the annual council meetings, but um, the the other issues that are brought forward for council advice, the committee opportunities that council has itself, and then the whole ambassadorial piece that that um, counselors do. So it's really it's just it's a really rich opportunity um, to give back to an institution that many of us um, gain so much from ourselves.
0: Thanks so much. Now, I I like how you referred to engagement uh, several times uh, in our conversation today. What advice would you offer to students and alumni about staying engaged uh, with the university, especially when we're all still at home, working at home and doing our studies at home? How do we stay engaged with each other? What are your views?
2: Um, So in in terms of staying engaged with Queen's, there are all kinds of opportunities. I mean, there's Uh, For for those of us who like to engage uh, by reading, there's the alumni magazine, Uh, there is a terrific uh, daily posting by the Queen's Gazette which uh, gives four or five stories of things that are going on on campus every day across the the spectrum of the things that that occur at the university. Uh, Those who like social media uh, can stay engaged through Facebook, Twitter, um, the other channels. And certainly, you know, as we look at, at both of those, but in particular Twitter, there are a number of individuals in the university who have their own Twitter feeds, as well as the you know, alumni affairs and so on and so forth. And you can learn a ton uh, through that. Um, the QUAA is very active. The branch activities are a great way to stay connected uh, with alumni and to meet other Queen's alumni in in your area who may have studied at a different time or in a different faculty than you did. And I know the face-to-face branch activities aren't happening right now, but the branches are working to to keep people engaged. And I'm quite sure that when we can gather together again in a social context, they'll be busy doing that again too. So I, I think there are lots of great opportunities.
0: Wonderful. Anything else to add, Mary, before we sign off?
2: So, So I think... What I would add is that the one of the things that I have come to learn about Queen's since I left, that I took for granted because I didn't know anything different when I was there, was, is the tremendous opportunities that students at Queen's have to do more than just go to classes. Queen's students are active and engaged at all levels of the university in charitable work in the community, in, I mean, we have students who sit on the board of trustees uh, and, and everything in between. And I would encourage students to take advantage of those opportunities because the, the skills and experience that you get from doing things like that are so valuable as, as you pursue your career, as you pursue a volunteer life, as you pursue whatever you choose to do after you leave Queens. And, and certainly for me, that, that opportunity really, really did help to, to set me on the path that I was on. Curiosity is so important it, to, to having new experiences and, and to uh, finding your way, finding your path. Um, so I would encourage everybody, be curious, follow the things that you're interested in, take opportunities as they as they come along we graduate thinking that our careers and our lives are going to unfold in a certain way and and so often we find ourselves as I have done in a place that that we didn't expect when we left business school or when we left whatever whatever our our faculty or educational path was Um, so be open to to new experiences and new opportunities because they will take you to places that are quite wonderful but but that you couldn't imagine, including volunteer opportunities to come back uh, and and engage with and give back to the university that that you graduated from.
0: That's sage advice. Thank you so much, Mary, for joining us today in the virtual studio and here on In Session Conversations with University Counselors.
2: Thank you for having me.